through Nehemiah chapter 4 today. I'm going to be spending a couple of weeks in this chapter. And, uh, this morning we're going to be reading uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through to 14. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. This is God's word to us this morning. You know, in this last couple of weeks, we have seen what anger and resentment and hatred towards people of particular faiths can result in. We just pray that tragedy that's unfolded in New Zealand is incredibly saddening and disturbing. In fact, the widespread condemnation of the man who carried out this vile act along with his beliefs and of those who support similar beliefs to his, those condemnations are totally merited. 
One of the things that's uh, been a little bit saddened by this week, though, in particular, is the fact that that same condemnation has not been forthcoming for the countless people of other faiths, particularly those of the Christian faith who have been brutally killed or persecuted in other parts of the world in that same amount of time. In the last few weeks in Nigeria, over 300 people have been killed in Christian villages. Many of those people have been women and children and those who are unable to get away from those attackers as they came into those villages with machine guns and machetes. Here in Australia, thankfully, we don't experience anything like that. Praise God. But I'm sure that each and every one of us are becoming more aware of the fact that there is a growing opposition to the Christian faith here in our own country and in the West. This kind of opposition to God and his church, though, is nothing new. The church has been under attack right from its very inception. I mean, you only need to read through the book of Acts to see how the early church had to deal with such incredible persecution in that context. Even in the secular historical books around about that time, they also make mention of the persecution that Christians in their day faced. The question for us today, and I think that this passage particularly poses for us today, is when it comes to opposition towards the people of God and because of their faith, how are we to respond? How are we to live and, uh, and continue to glorify God in the midst of that? How are, we to, how are we to be faithful and obedient to God and bring glory to his name? One of the you know, things in this particular chapter in Nehemiah 4 that I think we're going to find is that there are some, um, some wonderful things which, which this, this passage highlights. It highlights, first of all, a number of ways in which uh, the, our, the opposition is actually uh, focused against God's people. There are a number of different ways in which we, uh, we see that opposition at work. But also what we discover in this passage also is that there are a number of ways in which the people of God in Nehemiah's day responded to, uh, to that opposition. And uh, it gives us some clues ourselves as to how we might respond in that opposition today too. So as we, uh, we open up this passage together this morning, I want to uh, you know, just remind us first and foremost of this, is that as we look at passages like this and as we look at the opposition that we might face today around about us in the form of um, you know, the, the, the people and, you know, in our society and even uh, some, of the you know, some of the government regulations and things like that that we face today, that we need to remember that behind these things is our real enemy. That although we, see, we read the names of people like Sanballat and Tobiah and, and Geshem the Arab who are named in this particular book in Nehemiah, they're the names of these people who are adversaries of the people of God. What we need to see is behind these men is our greater enemy, our real enemy, the devil or Satan. 
that as we look at our world today, as we look at all of the, 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 uh, the particularly the persecution coming against God's church today, it is persecution, yes, that is being enacted by people and by regimes and governments and, and systems like that, but ultimately we have a real enemy, the, the enemy Satan, who is behind all of this, and we need to first understand that. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, warns them about this spiritual battle when he says this, Speaking to, uh, speaking to the Christians, he says, For our struggle, our battle, if you like, is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You can find that in Ephesians 6, verse 12. In fact, the name Satan actually means accuser or adversary. And he is indeed the adversary of God's people and committed to opposing God and his people, especially when God's people are serious about living obedient and holy lives, lives which, which seek to, uh, to, to follow God in his ways and see his kingdom established and furthered in our world today. When the people of God get serious about these things, about seeing God's kingdom advanced and God's name glorified, then you can rest assured that right there in the midst of that, the enemy is going to come and he's going to come with all kinds of opposition. One of the things that's uh, really important for us as, as followers of Jesus today is we need to be wary of how our enemy attacks us. Our enemy will use various methods and tactics. And, it's, and if we know and if we, we, we're aware of how he will attack us, then we help, can help us to be on our guard against his schemes and develop ways of countering them. We see a number of the, uh, the ways that our enemy uses in this passage today. And the first uh, thing we're going to find this morning is that our enemy particularly likes to ridicule God's people, likes to ridicule the workers. We see that in verse 2 of our passage this morning. Look at, uh, look at we see that you know, when Sanballat heard that, that we were building the wall, in other words, we were advancing God's purposes, we were seeking to advance God's glory, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. And then he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? What are these feeble Jews doing? And then he seeks to say, you know, are these people, are they going to restore the wall seriously? Are they going to offer sacrifices? Are they going to bring these stones back to life? Will they restore the temple sacrifices? He's saying, surely these people as feeble as they are they got no hope of doing that look how silly they are look how look how you know weak and insignificant these people are Tobiah even jumps in and says you know look he says yeah he says even if uh, you know they even you know sort of manage to get some stones one on top of the other even if this little fox jumps up on the wall it'll all fall down that's that's how hopeless they are at doing this job one of the most effective ways of discouraging someone from attempting or completing a project is to question their abilities and skills and particularly if that person already doubts their own abilities 
These Jews were faced with a pretty enormous kind of a task. The wall was about two and a half metres wide, so around about eight feet wide. It was, uh, should be built up to a, a height of around about 12 metres, about 40 feet high, and it was about four kilometres in length around the city. That was a massive task. And I'm sure the question passed through many people's minds, are we really capable of doing this? Even in verse 10, we see it says, In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens, in other words, those who are building the wall, is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. You can hear the doubts in their own voices, in their own hearts. Perhaps similar questions have gone through each of our minds when it comes to obeying God and, and doing, you know, working for his kingdom. Perhaps those questions have gone through your minds. Really? Am I really capable of, 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 of being used by God in, in whatever ways he chooses? You know, when the call has gone out for, you know, sort of help in different ministry areas in the church and, you know, the first question that comes to your mind, oh, well, they won't want me because I really am not very good at that at all. Now, in our um, Connect group, um, in this past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this series in making disciples and been talking about, you know, sharing our faith with, with those around about us. And, you know, and the question, you know, goes through uh, each of our minds, doesn't it, when it comes to sharing our faith, oh, really, can I do that? You know, I just don't feel equipped enough. I just don't know whether I, you know, have, have got the right words to say or whether or not, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, God can use me in that kind of situation. We have all asked ourselves the questions in our mind, am I really capable? And they're the questions that the, that the enemy wants to, to really kind of emphasise in, in our minds and in our hearts to discourage us because in and of ourselves there are many things which we feel so incapable of doing particularly when it comes to serving God and living for him. And the enemy wants to kind of just bring those, those doubts and those fears to the forefront of our minds. Because when he kind of wraps us up in, in fear, then we become paralysed and we, be, we, we, we become useless in many ways to God and his purposes. shared this with you in, uh, in the past. Conversation I had with um, my Bible college principal a number of years ago when we were at college. He called me into his office one day and uh, I remember him sitting me down and I was sitting across the, the desk. He was Stan Nickerson. I don't know if some of you might know Stan. Um, lovely man, but, but at, at times perhaps a little bit imposed, you know, sort of... Uh, Imposing, you kind of feel a little bit, whoa, I'm in, the, I'm in the school principal's office here kind of thing, you know. And I remember him sitting me down and uh, saying, Duncan, he said, you know, a number of the uh, lecturers at college, 
and they see so much potential in you for God. But the, other, the thing we're seeing most of all in you at the moment is fear. Until you let go of that fear, then God won't be able to bless you and use you in the way that he wants you to. Folks, each and every one of us have got to let go of that fear. That fear of, of perhaps not being capable or able or that sort of thing. You know what? How God says that he is the one who supplies all our needs, isn't he? You look through the pages of scripture and you see example after example after example of people who thought themselves completely incapable of being used by God in their situation. And yet as God worked in their lives, as they, as they humbled themselves underneath God's hand, as they made themselves available for God to use, God used them in incredible and amazing ways. And he wants to do the same for us in our lives today. So when those questions come to mind, oh, you know, am I, really, am I really capable? Am I really able? Do I really have the abilities? The answer is, you know what? No, I don't, but my God is greater than I and he is able to work in me and through me, through his power. The enemy will use ridicule. He'll use that, uh, that, that, uh, that argument that we are indeed useless and hopeless and incapable of doing the work. And if we continue to believe those lies, then we will fall short of being able to be used by God in incredible ways. I just wonder too whether or not that has implications for our own Christian lives as well. You know, when it comes to our spiritual growth, a number of conversations I have with people about, uh, you know, sort of them really struggling in various areas of their Christian lives, particularly having victory over things like habitual sin in their lives and things like that. And we kind of sort of can get into this place where the enemy kind of sells us this lie and thinking, you know what, you'll never change. You're incapable of changing. You're incapable of 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 making any kind of difference in your spiritual life in terms of your own quiet times, in terms of your prayer life, in terms of yeah, having victory over these kind of sins in our lives. The enemy wants us to continually be um, reminded that, yeah, we just we haven't got it, we can't do it, there's, there's, no, there's no point. And there have been numerous, uh, numerous people who I've known over the years, who have, who have believed those lies of the devil and have got so discouraged and so disheartened in their Christian faith that they've walked away from God. And the enemy rejoices. Got another one. Got another one. I've got another one. Folks, the reality is, as you know what, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves, but God does. And we, as the people of God, have got to continually throw ourselves at the feet of God day by day by day, at the cross of Christ, 
remembering that he is the one who has paid for those sins. That yes, we might continue to sin, but Jesus has paid for those. And Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in our lives, can actually make changes in us if we will just depend more and more on him. But it's got to be a persevering in that, folks. It can't be just, oh, you know, I fought that battle once and I've lost and that's it, I can't, it's, it's all over, I can't do it again. You know, this wall of Nehemiah's day, this wall was in, had been in this state for 140 years. And the people must have been thinking, well, it's been this way for so long, surely it's going to remain that way. And we can ask ourselves the same about our own lives. It's been in this state for so long, surely it's going to stay that way. You know, these people had tried to repair the wall once before and it had been stopped. So, of course, the, you know, I think the question that might have gone through their minds is, oh, we've done this before, we've tried once before, it didn't work, so what's the point now? And we ourselves can do that in our own lives, thinking, you know, well, we've tried this and we've tried that and we've tried all these different ways, so, you know, but nothing's changed. So why, why? What's the point? But that's the classic cop-out, and that's what our enemy wants us to succumb to. The enemy is going to try to, to get us to doubt our own abilities and our own strength. And you know what? We need to say to the enemy, you're right. We don't have it in of ourselves, but we have a God who is greater than you. And we have a God who is all-powerful and God's spirit lives in me. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, God's spirit lives within me. And we've got to start listening more to the voice of the spirit of God rather than the voice of the enemy in our lives. And we hear the voice of the spirit of God, not only in our consciences, but we hear it in this. And the thing I find with many people who have, who have been who have swallowed the lies of the devil and have, have given up in their Christian lives or are really struggling, they just don't, they're not in this. They're not in the word. Folks, this isn't just a book. This is not just a book. In this, we find life. Spiritual life through faith in Jesus Christ. This is his word to us. This word is life, and we need to feed on it day by day by day. And we need to be praying to God, God, show me, reveal to me what it is you want me to, to know about you and, and how you want me to respond to you in my life day by day by day. The reason we see so many people falling by the wayside in the Christian journey is because they're not getting fed. And it's one thing for you to come along on a Sunday and be fed from the word of God from this pulpit. And that will never cease to happen, particularly whilst I'm a pastor here at this church. But folks, that's like eating one meal a week. We need to be feeding ourselves from the word of God day by day. Next thing we see 
is not only were they ridiculing the workers, but they were ridiculing the work. As I said, Tobiah here, he says, you know, surely if a fox, this little tiny you know, animal, it's as light as a feather, jumps up on this wall, the whole thing's just going to fall down. The old enemy wants us to think that the work of building God's kingdom is a foolish and insignificant work. And you know, today, the church and, and Christians, we cop a lot of criticism for our efforts. Many th- people today think that what we're about is pretty foolish, that we're wasting our time and our efforts and our energies on things that they perceive to be myths and wives' tales and stuff like that. Today, Christians cop criticism for our moral stands because society sees them as being outdated and irrelevant in a progressive society, in a technologically and scientifically advanced society. They ridicule us when we fail to live up to what we preach. They're very quick to point out our failures and to tell us how hypocritical we are. And when faced with such ridicule and criticism, it can be hard to take a stand for God, to keep staying true to what we believe in and what we know is, is, is of, inter- of eternal significance. It's easier just to go into our shells and, and to become what uh, one commentator once called camouflage Christians. You know, we kind of just blend into the background. The fact of the matter is, is that, yes... The enemy is going to ridicule all that we do. Not just going to ridicule us, but ridicule what we do for God. And our world will ridicule what we do for God. But that does not mean that we withdraw into the shadows and give up. I love what uh, Nehemiah says in verse 14. After he says, Remembering, remember the Lord. And he says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. In other words, he says, keep at it. Keep at the task. And remember that we're fighting this battle and it's not just for us, but it is for all of God's people. And the battle that we fight every day, and you know, when faced with these, this kind of ridicule and that sort of stuff, if we don't stand strong, if we sort of start to fall, then the people around us, that can have an impact on them as well. One of the things that is very, very clear to us about the word of God and about the people God has called us to be a part of is the fact that he called us into a family for a purpose, for a reason, in the fact that we need each other. We need each other to build the kingdom of God. And when one falls, it's easy for the next person next to them to to fall too. And so we need to be strong around one another. You know, I mentioned this morning in the announcements about, uh, you know, about looking out for one another here in the church and looking around about the people that you normally seat amongst, you know, each week and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and be aware of those around about you. And if you don't see someone for, you know, for, uh, for a week or two, to follow up with them and see how they're going. One of the most heartbreaking things that I hear as a pastor is when I go and visit people and I hear them say, well, you know, we haven't been to church for a while and there's been valid reasons why they haven't been able to be there. 
and no one has noticed. I visited a family this week. Family that has been in this church for I don't know how many years. A family that's run home groups in their home, been a part of, of, of groups right up until just recently. And because of, some, because of, of illness currently in that, in that family situation, they haven't been able to be at church for, for quite a period of time. And as I sat with them this week, they said, Duncan, you know the hardest thing to, for us is that we've hardly heard from anyone. We've hardly heard from anyone. What do I say to that? I'm only one person. And yes, you employ me full time to be pastor. But there is 250 people here in this building this morning. And that's not counting all the many others who associate with the church here. I am only one person. We all have a responsibility to care for one another. Every single one of us. Please be aware. Please be aware. You know, when that ridicule of the work comes, and it will come thick and fast, we need each other to, to draw around each other and say, you know what, we're in this together and we'll, 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 we'll encourage each other in that and we'll stand strong together in that. The other thing we see in this passage that the enemy employs in terms of... Uh, ways of stopping the work, ways of discouraging believers, ways of tur turning believers away from God is that he will use verbal and physical threats. We see that in verse 11 of our passage today. It says, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Can you see their purpose? Their purpose is to stop the work of God. And Satan has employed this kind of tactic against the church from the word go. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, we see that some of the disciples who were before the religious, uh, religious authorities there and the religious authorities say, do not go and preach Jesus Christ. Do not preach about him. Do not do it otherwise. Or we will, we will imprison you. We will flog you. We will beat you. We will harm you. We will do whatever means is necessary to stop you from proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. We see many instances of people being threatened and killed for their faith right throughout history. And like I mentioned just before, and before we started this message this morning, people today are losing their lives around this world because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God we don't suffer that here. Satan is about stopping, preventing God's church from growing. And although we don't suffer that same kind of persecution, we can very much become intimidated by people to compromise our faith and beliefs, whether that be in the workplace, in our social circles, in our, in our, in our neighbourhoods, wherever. I mean, even our governments now are sort of starting to bring in anti-discrimination legislation and stuff like that to curb the voice of God's people in our own country. We need to remember that 
our enemy is cunning and he is going to exert all that he possibly can in order to silence the people of God and to stop the work of God's kingdom being grown. And we ourselves have got to be aware of these ways and we need to steel ourselves against these things and we need to come together and we need to rely upon God first and foremost. And that's what we're going to see in this last part of the, uh, the, the, uh, the, verse, the, uh, the uh, chapter this morning is how Nehemiah and the people of God in his day, you know, how they dealt with this kind of persecution. And we see firstly that in verses 4 to 5, that when they were faced with this kind of opposition, the first thing they did was to pray. Look at verse 4. You know, here is the, the, the threats have come. Sanballat has got really, you know, said they're, they're angry, they're enraged, they ridicule the people, they ridicule the work. And then we hear the prayer of Nehemiah in verse 4. It's a, there's a contrasting change. He says, Hear, O our God. Nehemiah praying, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. In other words, Lord, let them experience what we've experienced. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the, in the presence of us, the builders of your wall. Nehemiah's first response to the opposition was to pray. And we ourselves, in the face of, of, of opposition, folks, prayer is our fundamental weapon in this battle. You know, there was so much that Nehemiah and the people couldn't do. They couldn't do anything about the ridicule that was coming their way. They couldn't forget that. They couldn't dismiss the danger that, there was, that they, were, they were surrounded by their enemies. They couldn't ignore the plots of their enemies, you know, thinking of coming in and, and taking their lives. They couldn't, you know, they, by themselves they said, we can't even build this wall, you know, in our, in our own efforts, we can't even do this. But the thing which, which we do see here is the fact that the people of God could pray. Don't you find it interesting over the last little while? And folks, this isn't just coming from, you know, from me as, as, as the pastor of this church, but don't you see how, or have you been aware that God has been bringing up this matter of prayer over and over and over again for us in, the, in this church in recent times? Have you, have you been aware of that? Don't you think God's doing that for a reason? that he wants us to be more and more a people of prayer. Because prayer is crucial. And in praying to God, what we see the people of God here in Nehemiah's day doing, they were affirming first and foremost their faith and trust in God. And prayer for us is recognising that our faith and trust and hope is in God, that he is indeed the only one who can help us in our situation. But also in their prayers, they're able to share their fears and their anxieties and acknowledge their weaknesses and place their situation in God's hands. And we, through prayer ourselves, are to do that as well. It's interesting that some people view Nehemiah's prayer here as being very unchristian. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, Lord. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Don't cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. 
Here we see in the raw emotion of the people of God as they are confronted with this opposition. And when we are confronted with opposition, we are going to have to confront these kind of raw emotions and stuff as well. And it's right to take them to God. It is right to take those to God and, and recognize that we, as God's people, are indeed afraid and scared and worried and concerned. We ourselves want justice. And we need to pray that God will indeed enact justice. But notice that they don't then take matters into their own hands. They don't then go out, form an army and go out and and battle against these people, but they trust God. Yeah, they continue to go about the work, but they trust God in the midst of that. And and that's what all Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, God, we just want you to sort these people out. We want to entrust that situation and trust these people into your hands. And Lord, you deal with them justly and rightly. And that's how we ourselves are to face opposition today. Yes, we are to say, God, we want you to, we want your justice to be realized. But we're going to entrust that to you, not us. But instead, our response to those who persecute us is to love them. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We pray. Next, not only do we pray, but we also continue to keep put our hearts to the work. Verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mo- excuse me, the people had a mind to work. They didn't allow the enemy's threats to get their focus off their main purpose. They just kept building the wall. And folks, we need to just keep doing what we're doing for God faithfully and obediently. We keep focused on that which is important, that which matters, and that is the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in his name and in his name alone. We fight against the enemy's plots and schemes with prayer and with the word of God, but we never allow ourselves to get sidetracked away from our main purpose of building God's kingdom. The people put their hearts to the work and they remain vigilant in that. Lastly, we see that Nehemiah urged the people to keep their eyes on God. And folks, if we're going to stand strong in our culture today, in our society that is opposed to our faith, we've got to keep our eyes on God and remember who our God is. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So the people became discouraged and fearful when they focused on the enemy's threats, when they focused on the piles of rubble and they focused on the huge extent of the work that they faced. And for us, it too can be difficult in times, you know, well, in difficult times, it can be easy for us to lose focus and get discouraged and even tempted to give in when it looks just all too hard. But it's in these times that we need to be reminded to remember the Lord who is great and awesome to be reminded afresh of how God is at work in people's lives. And I encourage you, uh, and I can't encourage you strongly enough to be sharing with those around about you, our brothers and sisters in Christ, how God is at work. Encourage each other in that. Because it helps us to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So in the midst of opposition today... 
The reality is it can be easy for us to think, like the people of God in Nehemiah's day, that by ourselves we cannot do it. And like I said, Satan wants us to believe that lie, thinking that we're all on our own, but we're not. We're not. We have each other to be encouraged by, but most of all, we have God on our side. And we're going to look at this next week when it speaks about God, our God who fights for us. Can I encourage each of us this week particularly, if you want a practical thing to, to do this week, do this. Seek out someone. Seek out another brother or sister in Christ to say, can I pray with you? Can I encourage you in some way this week? Can we, whether it be over the phone, whether it be in a face-to-face meeting, say to them, can we just pray together and encourage each other in that and remind each other of our Lord who is great and awesome? Will you do that this week? This is a practical step. Because in doing that, we will continue to fight the good fight for our own sake, but also the sake of our brothers and our sisters, our children, but ultimately for God and his glory. Amen. I'm going to come and share around the communion table now in response to... uh,